Welcome to the One Climbs Podcast, a show about exploring life through the lens of theology, scripture, symbolism, and ideas that uplift the human mind. In 1 Nephi chapter 17 of the Book of Mormon, Nephi and his family have just arrived at the edge of this great sea. And this is after traveling in the wilderness for eight years and going through all these trials and tribulations and suffering. And it's been very hard on them, especially upon uh, the women and the children to basically have to eat raw food. They're not making very many fires because it seems that they were counseled against doing that maybe to hide their location or to be undisturbed by others or maybe people that are coming after them potentially as, as they've escaped Jerusalem. So they're trying to keep a low profile for eight years. You can imagine year after year going by wondering when is this going to end? And finally they arrive at this beautiful uh, location by the sea. And to many, this, this feels almost like a promised land, like God has delivered them to this point, And now it's time to enjoy this a little bit. Well, Nephi is called up into the top of a mountain by the Lord. And he's told that he's going to need to build a ship to take his people across these great waters that are there before them. So Nephi decides that he is going to be faithful. He comes down, he begins to start making tools and a forge. And then his brothers see what he's doing. And they, they find out that he's planning on building a ship to carry I've estimated it before, and it's around 30 people, plus or minus. And to do something like that is a pretty great feat. Like imagine if you were just at the shore of a sea, you don't have any tools, you got to make them from scratch, and you have to build a ship that is going to carry 30 people across an ocean, uh, that one that people just didn't cross oceans back then. It's as crazy of an idea as building an airplane that's going to fly someone to another continent or a spaceship that's going to take someone to the moon. That was probably about as insane as it was for Nephi to be suggesting this to his family. I think sometimes you can think, oh, he's building a ship. Well, why was that such a big deal? Why were they so down on doing something like that? Well, I don't know if you've ever tried to build a ship before. The closest thing I've come to is building a barge with my father, the one that he designed for his business to basically install piling and to build docks and decks out in the um, Gulf Coast Corpus Christi out there. And building something like that can be challenging. I mean, we had fiberglass, we had resin, we had modern tools, and it took us a long time with a small handful of us to construct this barge but that barge could only carry a small number of people. It certainly couldn't have taken people across an ocean. Like there'd be no way you would ever think to carry that barge out onto the Gulf of Mexico because we've taken boats out there before and a large flat bottom barge like that, it would get tossed around on those waves like crazy. It And it was so small, comparatively speaking to something like a cruise ship, and I'm not saying they built a cruise ship, but a larger ship is probably going to do better on the ocean than a, a little tiny vessel. And so 
I'm not sure how big Nephi's ship was, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a big ship, but the way that the keel of the ship, the bottom is designed, it can help it cut through the water more, but a flat bottom vessel out on open water like that, that wouldn't do well. And so it would be easy to construct a flat bottom vessel, but to construct anything else like that, I mean, I couldn't even imagine the type of engineering that would go into building something like that. There's very specific ways that you build ships, and this was not common knowledge held by the average people. And Nephi's a younger guy, and he's probably spent most of his young adult life wandering in the wilderness with the rest of them. So all of a sudden, he's going to build a ship. It sounds absolutely insane that this guy is going to build a vehicle that's going to take 30 people across this vast ocean. And Nephi becomes very sorrowful just to the, their lack of faith. But, you know, in one level, I don't know that you really blame them that much because I think a lot of their objections were perfectly valid. Like if somebody came along and said, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. If your parents took you out into the wilderness and you were living out in the middle of nowhere for eight years, and then one of your siblings said, Hey, uh, I'm going to build an airplane that's going to take us across the ocean you you'd be like what the heck is going on have you been out here are, are you are you malnourished are you starting to see things like what's wrong with you and so but then what follows here is kind of interesting and layman and lemuel they they see nephi's sorrowing and they they misunderstand what he the emotions he's feeling they think he's nephi is doubting himself and so they start to kind of rejoice a little bit. And then they go, okay, we knew you could not construct a ship. We knew you were lacking in judgment. Wherefore, thou canst not accomplish so great a work. This is in verse 19. Then they start to get, it seems a little mad. And they start venting again some of the same complaints they've had before, but they're really letting Nephi have it. They say, you're like unto our father, led away by the foolish imaginations of his heart. He's led us out of Jerusalem. We've wandered in the wilderness for these many years. Our women have toiled, being big with child. They've borne children in the wilderness and suffered all things save it were death. And it would have been better that they had died before they came out of Jerusalem than to have suffered these afflictions. Behold, these many years we have suffered in the wilderness, which time we might have enjoyed our possessions and the land of our inheritance. Yea, and we might have been happy. And so a, a lot of times Laman and Lemuel are pictured as these villains. But what you see here, I think, is a little bit more complex than that. They're not just simply bad guys. Uh, they, you can see here that they're, they're worried about their wives. They've seen their wives suffer so much. Their children. They've, they're not so much concerned about themselves. I mean, they certainly wish they could have been in Jerusalem enjoying their possessions and enjoying the land of their inheritance and raising their families and doing all the things that they had planned to do when this upset everything. Now, eight years, eight years of their lives, they feel have been simply lost. Then they point back to the people in Jerusalem. They said they, they were a righteous people. They kept the statutes and judgments of the Lord and all his commandments according to the law of Moses. Wherefore, we know 
they are a righteous people and our father hath judged them and hath led us away because we would hearken unto his words. Yea, and our brother is like unto him. And so they're upset about this. And one of the things I noticed while reading this, something, if you're familiar with the Book of Mormon, you've probably read a million times, just kind of going through here, but they're looking at the way that they've lived their life. Things happen in their lives that they had not planned on, right? They did not plan on any of this, but it's happened. And they feel this sense of loss. Like it would have been better for us to die than to spend all these years just suffering constantly. Why did we have to go through all of this? They're looking at two versions of reality, one that could have been and one that is. And they don't like the one that is, the one that they're experiencing. They're thinking that if different decisions were made under different circumstances, their life would most certainly have been better overall. And I think that's a very common feeling for many people to have. When you're sitting in your current state of affairs, and sometimes I think that's often referred to as the, the grass is greener on the other side, right? Where sometimes you look at where you are now and say, my life would be better if maybe I can make a change and go to something else and it would improve. But then there's also this feeling that you're looking to the past now saying, man, my life could have been completely different if I would have made different decisions. But that's the whole thing. We didn't make those decisions. It's impossible to go back and fix things and repair the past. It can't be done. And so here, Laman and Lemuel, they're, they're lamenting those things. And they're fearing, feeling very sorrowful. But it just really struck me as I was reading at this time how much I think we can, we can feel like that today. I mean, I've, I've felt that way before. I'm pretty sure that other people have had that same feeling to resent the present and to start looking for blame, trying to find a reason why life is how it is right now and, and build up a different version of what the present could have been if only X, Y, and Z didn't exist. But the way Nephi answers them is pretty cool. And I think there's something to consider here for us as well today in whatever we might be facing. Because if we're in the situation where we're starting to regret some of the decisions we've made, and I think it's, I think it's probably legit to regret poor decisions. You, know, you, could, you could regret that. But even then, even if the decision was poor, even if uh, whatever the decisions are that brought you to this place, you're here now and there's nothing you can do to go back and change it. But listen to how Nephi responds, because I think it's pretty cool, like I said. So he starts talking about the children of Israel, how they were led out of the hands of the Egyptians because they hearkened to the words of the Lord. They were brought out of bondage and they were carried across the Red Sea on dry ground. The enemies of the children of Israel were drowned in the Red Sea. They were fed with manna in the wilderness and their thirst was quenched when Moses smote the rock and water came forth. They were led by the Lord by day and by night. 
just doing all things that were expedient for man to receive. But he says, but they hardened their hearts and were blinded in their minds and they reviled against Moses and against the true and living God. Even though God did all these things for them, they didn't appreciate it. Now, was that just because they were super stubborn or maybe they didn't realize that it was coming from God or whatever it was, the, the point was, is God was there with them, but that didn't matter. Whether they perceived God or not, they still blamed God for their sufferings and their strugglings and thought that maybe they would have been better off just staying back at Egypt instead of going through all these things. And then they, they encounter this, the promised land. And it's full of people. And Nephi goes into the wicked versus the righteous and how they came to inherit that land. But then they did inherit the land. So Nephi is pointing out to his brothers here, you're talking so much about Jerusalem, this promised land, this place that you wish you could have gone back to, that you're like, oh, I wish we could have just stayed here. But how did people get there in the first place? The only reason there even is a Jerusalem for you to long for is because slaves were delivered out of Egypt, brought through this, this whole process in the wilderness where they suffered and struggled, but eventually they landed at this promised land and their ancestors have rejoiced in that promised land for generations and they're longing for it and praising it at this point. But what they don't see is that they're being led to a new promised land. The same thing that God did for their ancestors, he's now doing for them again, anew, but they're not seeing it. That's what Nephi is pointing out to them is what you're not seeing is God is doing the same thing. You are just passing through the same struggles that our ancestors did. So look back to what they did. Be better than them. Don't murmur and complain and turn against the Lord like they did. Realize what you're a part of and rejoice in it and move forward and, and let's work together and make this happen because in front of us, lying right there beyond the sea is a promised land with our name on it and it's all ours and God's given it to us. He's going to bless us and prosper us. So you're sitting here longing back for Jerusalem, but remember how Jerusalem came to be, right? And so I think that's a really profound thought because we here are not only looking back at Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, but we're also looking back at Laman and Lemuel and Nephi and their family coming out of Jerusalem into the promised land. So here we are in the present. We have this pattern going again and again and again, and now we're in our lives and maybe we're passing through our own wilderness. Maybe we're passing through our own rough times. But little by little, God's giving us a little manna here, quenching our thirst from the rock. He's helping us to endure day by day. And some days we may not even feel like his presence is, is there. I mean, Lehi, at one point, remember, he's murmuring against the Lord when all of their bows are broken and they don't know how they're going to get food. Everybody starts to complain, all of them. It kind of broke almost everyone except for Nephi. And, and I'm sure Nephi was probably wrestling with this too, but he decided to go and make a bow and then take it to his father and say, all right, let's pray about how we can do it. Let's move forward. Let's just keep moving forward. Let's endure. Let's do what we can. And let's trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. 
So in our own lives today, we too can trust what the Lord is doing in our lives and realize that he is always there. Even though we can't see him or detect him or discern that he's in what's happening to us at the moment, he is with us. And whatever difficulties we're traveling through, the Lord is with us and he will deliver us. Think of the Lord for 400 years, seeing his people in slavery. It's hard to know sometimes why God didn't intervene. He does intervene at some point, 400 years, but he intervenes and he intervenes in a huge way, right? But why didn't he intervene in the 300th year or the 200th year or the 10th year or the third year? Why was it so long? Well, I think the only thing we can chalk it up to is that, at least for me, the Lord has a reason for doing what he does. And there's a wise purpose in allowing life to simply unfold. But I think the one thing to realize is that the, the one thing that gets repeated over and over again that we see happening again is that the Lord does deliver his people. When his people turn to him, he delivers them and he offers them that deliverance. And so that's something that Nephi talks quite a bit about. But yeah, this particular part of this chapter just really hit me hard today as I was going through it. And I know people that are going through hard times. There's people all around us going through hard times. I've been through many hard times myself, but I think there's a lot of strength that we can take from these scriptures because they reveal something about how the Lord works with us, that he doesn't stop things from happening. Not all the time. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he intervenes. I think he, I personally think he intervenes when it becomes necessary to preserve our agency and necessary to preserve whatever we need to continue keep doing here on this earth. There's a lot of people that have suffered on this earth many times, but also remember that our Savior has also suffered in indescribable ways. And we look at our lives and say, hey, it's not fair what's happening to me. It wasn't fair what happened to Jesus either. He was an innocent man, son of God. And they took him and did horrific things to him. So there he was, innocent and yet suffering. So yeah, he, he totally knows what it's like. Even when Jesus Christ came to earth, he wasn't exempted from all that. He didn't get a pass. He passed through it just like we all. And I think there are a few people that live on the surf that suffer even anywhere close to what he did. And his suffering, he says he's descended below all things. And I think that goes in terms of suffering as well. So whatever we suffer, we can know that we have a God who understands us. And I think that's a powerful thing. Who understands us in the flesh. Not just understands us because we're told he just knows everything and it's hard to identify with that. Sometimes when you're giving advice to someone, you're going through something hard and it doesn't look like they've ever gone through anything hard. Sometimes you don't know if they could totally empathize with you, but God can. Jesus came down, he felt everything. Not just the physical pain, but betrayal of his friends and his closest people and associates. And so there's two versions of reality 
that we struggle between at least two could probably create as infinite number of possibilities, right? But there's the reality that you're facing and there's the reality that you wish could be happening at that moment instead. And it's always the struggle, it seems, between these two realities, a longing for the one reality or simply accepting the reality that you're in. Eventually, at some point, you're going to have to accept the reality that you're in. But I think if you do it with faith in God, you'll find purpose in the pain and in the process that will allow you to step through the rest of what's going to be required to finally enter that promised land. Now notice that bountiful was not the end. Yes, they suffered for eight years in the wilderness and finally one day they step into this beautiful land that has everything they could possibly want. But that wasn't the end. They had to build the ship. There was another great miracle that had to be wrought that required much more sacrifice on their parts. And then the journey across the, the waters was difficult as well. There were storms. There was the fear of drowning at sea. They were going right into the mouth of this very treacherous journey that still lay before them. And after they had completed that journey, then finally they arrive in this promised land. But the promised land was not, it was still not the end. It was the beginning of a new opportunity. They had to build their civilization and there was still conflict. There were still wars, all kinds of things, all new things to be experienced. But God's hand was in all of it. And loyalty to the God was the big separator between how people's stories ended up. And God sustained the people that were loyal to him and endured, even through all of the hardship and the sorrow. Nephi himself, he sorrows. If you've ever read what's called Nephi's Psalm, where he, he's complaining about his situation and his sufferings. And this is right after the, the death of his parents. And he's very sorrowful about everything that's happened to him. And he's not just sorrowing about the things that happen. He's also sorrowing about the, his temptations and his sins. He calls himself a wretched man. And his heart sorrows because of his flesh and his iniquities. He's encompassed about because of the temptations and sins which do easily beset him. His heart groans because of his sins. So this sounds very, very dark and self-deprecating. But then it changes. There's this hinge point. He says, nevertheless, all of this, I know in whom I have trusted. My God has been my support. He's led me through my afflictions of the wilderness. He's preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. He's filled me with his love, even to the consuming of my flesh. He's confounded my enemies. He's heard my cries. I've 
waxed bold in prayer before him. Angels have come down and ministered to him. By the wings of his spirit, his body has been carried away upon high mountains. His eyes have beheld great things. And if he's seen so many great things, why should his heart weep and his soul linger in the valley of sorrow and his flesh waste away and strength slacken? Because of his afflictions. Why should he yield to sin? Because of his flesh? Why should I give way to temptations? And he says, Awake my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice on my heart. And he cries out to God for protection to encircle him and to make his path straight and confesses to God that he has trusted in him and will trust in him forever and that he's not going to put his trust in the arm of flesh. Whether that arm of flesh is other people around him or his own plans and designs, he's going to put his trust in God and that's going to be what's going to make the difference. In these times today where it's very confusing and, and in many ways we are in our own wildernesses of all kinds, we can look at these two versions of reality and one of them we need to let go of. I think we need to let go of the reality that we've imagined unto ourselves, so to speak, of a life of our own design that has not at yet to that point come our way. And there could be things about goals in life and such that we could still achieve and make for ourselves. It's not, it's not that we can't have our own way in life and do things that we desire. I think those are good things. I'm, I'm talking more so about looking back at our life and with this deep regret that somehow because our life didn't turn out the way we wanted up to this point, that that there's something to blame for that and that it was wasted time that you've wasted your life that's the impression i get from layman and lemuel is they saw their sufferings in the wilderness as just a waste they could have been enjoying so many other things back home and unfortunately that period of eight years in the wilderness instead of really refining their faith which it could have done. And I think it did for many in Nephi's party, especially Nephi. I think it served to refine his faith. It didn't seem to do that for Laman and Lemuel. They fought it the whole way. They spent their whole time essentially fighting against God and then just seeking to blame other people. Instead of just allowing the events to unfold and, and trusting in that there was purpose and reason behind what was happening. And that, you know, even though what was happening to them may have felt like they were being attacked or punished by God, it didn't matter what the circumstances were. The, the Israelites were held captive by the Egyptians as slaves and treated horribly. And there are many people in life that have, have lived through periods where, where they have suffered immensely because of the wickedness of other people. But I think the point is no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what is happening to you or what situation you're in, that if the, if the trust is placed in God, there can be deliverance. Maybe not even deliverance in that moment from that thing, 
but even in the midst of the trial, that your burdens can be lightened. And that's what happened to them while they were in the wilderness. If you go back to 1 Nephi 17, even before he's talking to his brothers about this, he's recalling the blessings that they experienced during the wilderness. At first he talks that he mentions that they haven't they haven't made much fire in the wilderness because the Lord hasn't really allowed them to do that too much. But the Lord has said instead, he goes, I will make thy food become sweet that you cook it not. And I will be your light in the wilderness and I'll prepare the way before you. If it so be that you shall keep my commandments and inasmuch as you keep my commandments, you shall be led toward a land of promise and ye shall know that it is by me that ye are led. And after you have arrived in the promised land, you shall know that I, the Lord, am God, and that I, the Lord, did deliver you from destruction, yea, that I did bring you out of the land of Jerusalem. Wherefore, I, Nephi, did strive to keep the commandments of the Lord, and I exhort my brethren to faithfulness and diligence. And that's the key right there, is through this process, whatever it may be, if you keep the commandments, there are things that we can't control, but there are things we can't control. We can't control the reality that we didn't get, but we can endure the reality that is before us. We can keep the commandments. And as we do this, we are going to be led to a promised land. And we will know through the pain and the suffering that it is by the Lord that we are led. And he will make our food becomes sweet and he will be our light and he will prepare the way for us. He'll ease our burdens and he will make the unbearable bearable. So it doesn't matter what we're passing through. If we turn to God, that passage will be made purposeful for us. And I think that's a really powerful thing to understand and what's being illustrated here in this chapter. And there's likely so much more, but that's just some of what I, I took from this that I felt like was worth sharing. And it's just one of the other reasons that I really love the Book of Mormon for all of the deep insights that are there. If you, you take time to really listen to what's being said. And I think the, the journey of Nephi and his family is an extremely profound example. Like all the sufferings they went through, like I guarantee you at the time, none of them were thinking that, what, 2,600 years later, that we'd be sitting here pondering their story and looking at their sufferings and what they have experienced and are drawing strength from that. Now think about what will happen when we, what we experience in life. If we record those things, we write them down or we capture them somehow that who knows how many generations in the future somebody may millions may be pondering your story what you're going through right now yeah it doesn't seem miraculous at the time it never does i don't think any of them necessarily thought it was at the time they were experiencing things but you can see what happens the difference between Faith, keeping the commandments and dedication, and murmuring and complaining. There's a clear choice between those two. I think that's the big takeaway, at least for me. And 
I'm grateful I have the opportunity to share those thoughts with you. And thanks for tuning in and listening. And I will talk to you again here on the One Climbs podcast.